Welcome to Advance, an NCEES podcast series. I'm Davey McDowell, Chief Operating Officer at NCEES. I'm really excited today to have a conversation with Brian Robertson, a professional engineer from Wellington, Colorado. In this episode, Brian will give us an inside look at what it's like to serve on a state board of professional licensure in the United States. A short history lesson. In the United States, engineers and surveyors are licensed at the state and territory level. U.S. licensure began in 1891 when California passed legislation to regulate surveyors. Engineering followed in 1907 when Wyoming began requiring licensure for both engineers and surveyors. As more states enacted similar legislation over the next decade, U.S. licensing boards began to see a need for a national council to help improve uniformity of laws and to promote mobility of licensure. NCEES was created in 1920 for these reasons. Since its founding, NCEES has focused on providing services to advance licensure and facilitate mobility among the licensing boards. The Council's members are the 69 Engineering and Surveying Licensing Boards from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Guam, Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. By enforcing standards that restrict practice to qualified individuals who have met specific qualifications in education, work experience, and exams, these 69 different licensing boards are critical in helping protect all of us in our everyday lives. A little bit more info on Brian. He has been a licensed professional engineer in Colorado since 1999 as a principal for BG Building Works, where he oversees the Fort Collins office and the electrical and lighting teams for the company. He's a graduate of Penn State University and holds a bachelor's degree in architectural engineering. He is also a past chair of the Colorado State Board of Licensure for architects, professional engineers, and professional land surveyors. Currently, Brian serves as president-elect for NCEES and will take over as president in August of this year. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. I look forward to our conversation today. Let's jump right in. Of the things that, as you were growing up, uh, a lot of us have uh, some type of realization that I'm going to be an engineer, and this is why I'm going that way. What got you into engineering? What what made you think I want to be an engineer? Well, I always had an aptitude for math and science in school. My dad graduated from a chemical engineering program and worked for a pharmaceutical company. Never got licensed, but he he always had that. Uh, the analytical bent that appealed to my way of processing things. Honestly, in school, in, in high school in particular, I was drawn towards artificial intelligence and robotics. So I was convinced I was going to be an electrical engineer and really focus all my attention that way after some, uh, kind of a early interest in architecture through a family friend. Went to Penn State to start my electrical engineering undergraduate degree with a intention to go on for a master's in artificial intelligence and a PhD in robotics. And that was my whole career path laid out in front of me from what I thought I knew from a small town in rural Virginia, got to Penn state, found out that uh, everything I had really wanted to accomplish and and set the world on fire with my robotics and artificial intelligence. It was actually old news already hated my uh, weed out freshman electrical engineering classes and was fortunate to land in one of the, at the time, top-ranked architectural engineering programs in the country, still is, 
was able to blend the early architectural interests into the engineering uh, aptitudes and and really in, in have enjoyed the career that that has led me through. I guess that leads you to uh, after after school, um, you have to get out and, and get a real job. So so what's that real job? So I've been a consulting electrical engineer since '93, uh, since I graduated, and I've worked for a number of different firms: uh, some electrical only discipline, some multidiscipline with mechanical, plumbing, technology. Um, never a, a firm that included structural and architectural uh, disciplines, but it, it's been the MEP or straight E firms in my whole career. The architectural engineering program did a great job of preparing me for that role. Uh, more so than it, I, I think a, a straight electrical engineering degree would have, given that it did train me for the building vertical construction market more than a, a broad engineering base. As I learned when I took the PE exam and was not terribly prepared for some of the deeper electrical engineering theory classes on the PE exam back in the late 90s. And today, kind of tell us about where you work today and, and who you work for. Sure. The company I work for now is BG Building Works. We're a four-office firm located in Colorado and New Mexico. I sit in northern Colorado, and we tend to work primarily in the Rocky Mountain West out to California, a variety of market sectors. Uh, I'm one of the lead electrical engineers in our firm. Uh, so we, here we have mechanical, electrical, plumbing, technology, acoustics, commissioning agents, uh, and uh, test and balance group. Uh, part of our our suite of services here. And I also am the uh, business unit leader for our Fort Collins office. So I have some managerial responsibilities as well as uh, lead engineering responsibilities. You, you were out working as electrical engineer and then you're appointed to the Colorado board. I've always wanted to ask this question to uh, to a board member, but, uh, and really haven't, I've, I've never asked it. So I'm going to ask it to, to you now. So when you were appointed to the Colorado board, was that one of those things where you were thinking, well, it's about time I'm friends with the governor. He's about time he appointed me to, or he or she appointed me to the, uh, to Colorado board. Or was it like, oh, holy cow, I've been appointed to the, appointed to the Colorado board. And now I've got to be part of this board. And I don't even know what to do. Or was it somewhere in between? It was a lot closer to the second one. I know there are a lot of folks that are close with the governor, the governor's staffs, they get them appointed to boards. I have never met or talked with any of the governor's staff or the governor themselves. I was nominated and recommended to apply for the board through my previous experience and a previous contact with the ACEC Colorado Board of Directors. An outgoing member of the board recommended that I apply for an, a vacancy on the electrical engineering side. And I was appointed to the board through that, uh, that connection, uh, through a, a previous Colorado board member recommending me to apply for and then ultimately getting me appointed. I'm pretty sure I was unaware of the responsibility that I was signing up for. Uh, he told me it was a couple hours a month of getting ready for the meeting and then one meeting a month. And other than that, it was, it was not, not a big deal. So he, I still owe him for that, that bit of uh, deception. <laughs> <laughs> but it truly has been the best thing in my career through working on the Colorado board and all the issues that we see, all the licensees that we review and talk to and the situations they find themselves in. I have become a much better engineer myself 
and a, a much better engineer for my company uh, by learning from some of the mistakes we see other folks make, unfortunately. It has really been, been quite the experience. What were your thoughts on licensure for engineers, for surveyors, but licensure in general prior to becoming a member of the Colorado board and then kind of compare and contrast that to after a, a few years, what were your thoughts on engineering licensure? I hate to confess this on a recording like this, but I was pretty darn ignorant of the responsibility that professional engineering licensure uh, expects. Uh, it was a career path for most of my awareness leading up to my service on the board. Uh, it was just expected. You get your degree, you get your FE, you go through a couple years of experience, you get some folks to sign off on it, you get your PE, and now you can stamp stuff. You know, through the series of mentors that I had, it was, it was important to get the job right and to serve the project right. But the, the responsibility of the public part was not really as emphasized as it, in my opinion, ought to have been. Uh, then through serving on the board and a year later then becoming involved with NCEES broadly, uh, the, the level of responsibility and accountability and public trust that's put in a professional engineer was very eye-opening and it really broadened my horizons and, and my perspective quite a bit. Which kind of, um, I guess, brings me to, to a, a, a question about how working on a licensing board, how, in your opinion, does that impact the health, safety, and welfare of the public? Oh, it absolutely protects them from uh, unqualified folks. Uh, the, the things that we do are so highly technical. The public frankly, doesn't have the skill set, training, or experience to evaluate a, a good engineer from a, I shouldn't say good versus bad, a, a qualified engineer versus one who is not yet qualified. And that is the one of the roles that the licensing boards fill is uh, screening the qualifications of the applicants to make sure that they are minimally competent to, to do the job that they're being hired to do for these highly technical professions. As you have progressed in your time with the Colorado Board, um, so first, how many years has that been? And second, what are, we, what are you seeing as um, the most important issues that affect licensure in the United States today? First part of that question, I, I've served on the Colorado Board for seven and a half years. I'm finishing my second and final four-year term uh, this July. So this is a bittersweet end to, to my, my time and service on this board. I think nationally that the biggest issues and questions about licensure is the the question of public awareness and understanding of what we do and, and the purpose of licensing and the value that that brings to our communities. Well, there's a, a lot of challenges from misunderstanding about the, the cost and the barriers to employment mobility. The, the flip side is the protection that the public is not qualified to make for themselves on these technical things. And it's not just, you know, the, the short term, I can make a decision on whether this person is qualified to design this bridge. These bridges are structures that last for a very, very long time. And the infrastructure and the buildings that we live and work in, the people that use these facilities that are designed by licensed engineers are so far disconnected from the selection and evaluation process, usually not only just from, from distance, but also from decades of time while those buildings are still in service, that, that the licensure process and 
qualifications review is, is critical for the longevity of, of folks who just trust that these buildings are safe, these roads are safe, these bridges are safe. The, the processes that, that we regulate are safe for them. When you went through the, the licensure process and now being on the board, kind of how, is those, how do those kind of compare? And, and also now that you are licensed, how do you mentor those younger, younger say, employees to get licensed? My process of becoming licensed was a challenge, sure. The, and like I said before, it's rigorous for a reason. Because of scheduling issues with my capstone project presentation being the Monday immediately following the administration of the FE exam, I decided to postpone taking the FE until the fall after I graduated, which I do not recommend for anybody who has not yet taken the FE because even just those six months of working in an office and thinking about projects and not thinking about thermodynamics and fluid mechanics and things that had nothing to do with electrical consulting engineering, that was a tough exam to pass even just six months later. And then I was glad to have good mentors. I've always worked under licensed PEs, so they were always aware of the importance of uh, getting me progressive experience, not just sticking me in a cubicle to do the same calculation for a year and a half. So I was fortunate that my mentors and employers valued the path to licensure to actually expose me to more and more of the uh, decision-making process that it would require to, to be qualified to, to take the PE exam and to, to sit for that first licensure step or second licensure step, I suppose. Uh, and then they were also extremely supportive of preparing for and taking the, the PE exam itself. I think I mentioned that I graduated as an architectural engineering graduate and the year I took the PE was the first year that they offered the architectural engineering exam. So I I decided to go ahead and take the electrical PE exam uh, rather than that first ARCHE exam, which probably would have been a lot closer to my education background, but I think the electrical PE was a lot closer to what I needed to to demonstrate my skills and to, to practice. Would you go into engineering or architectural engineering again if you could do it over? Absolutely. Yeah, the the consulting engineering side of uh, interactions with architects and clients and the the vertical built environment has really been uh, the best fit career I I could imagine. Uh, we, We sometimes play the, if you couldn't do this, what else would you have done? Years ago, I took a, a, a graduate level class in, in, uh, engineering management and included a, an international finance. So I, that, that kind of tweaked my interest a bit that if, if I couldn't be an engineer, maybe I would have been an international banker or something like that, that uh, knowing only what one semester course about that even talked about, uh, of course, that would have been a great way to make a career decision. Um, having been on the Colorado board, if I had to say something related to what I'm doing now, but not be a consulting electrical engineer, I tell you what, surveyors are some of the coolest people I know and have some of the most interesting and diverse job description uh, between their field work, their research, the the technical nature of, of making decisions about conflicting or missing information. Uh, it's like solving a giant puzzle, and I'm a huge puzzle nerd, so I really think if I'd have known about surveying, uh, at the time I was disillusioned with my robotics career, there's a very good chance I could have gone into that instead of architectural engineering. So 
that, that that's a fascinating couple of alternative histories that, that could have played out. But uh, no, I'm, I'm super thrilled with the architectural engineering degree and the electrical consulting engineering career I've had. Is there any final parting words of wisdom? I would say uh, understand the responsibility that licensure brings and don't be afraid to be proud of that license and the service you're bringing to your communities and to the public at whole, at, 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 at large. And let folks know the value that licensure brings to their communities. Um, it, it's, a, it's a huge privilege and responsibility both, and, and those two always go together, that, that you as a licensee, no matter the profession, uh, bring to your, your communities. Thanks, Brian, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk with you, and we do appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and give us a first-hand account of the issues affecting licensure in the United States and the important role state licensing boards play in protecting all of us. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. Please take a minute to leave us a review. This simple action can help others like yourself find and share this podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you again next time on the next episode of Advance, an NCWS podcast series.